Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Vanished ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. He walked into that store on March the 8th, between 2 and 4, and he left that store. And he has never been seen or heard from again. Just the fact that the night that he went missing, that they're sitting around the house talking about how he needed to disappear. Hello, and welcome to Episode 77 of The Vanished. 36-year-old Chip Campbell was last seen on video surveillance at a Circle K in Milton, Florida on March 8, 2016. He walked into the gas station bathroom with two backpacks and walked out without the bags. After that, Chip left the gas station and simply vanished. Leading up to his disappearance, Chip had become involved with some unsavory characters and had expressed fear for his own safety. What happened to Chip on March 8, 2016? This is Chip's story. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. From bestsellers and new releases, to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, and more. And my favorite part is that members can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere, while traveling, working out, doing chores, you decide. I carve out a little bit of time each evening to listen while I'm cooking. And right now, I'm listening to Lay Them to Rest by Laura Norton. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. In the months leading up to Chip's disappearance, he was down on his luck. He had some long-term health problems that began to worsen, which led to him losing his job. His life continued to spiral downwards when he allowed a friend to move into his home. We will use the term friend loosely in this episode because, as you'll find out, Chip had some real friends, and he began to express fear for his own life to those real friends. Then he had these other friends, who were most likely taking advantage of a nice guy who was down on his luck and probably a bit lonely. Chip's siblings and cousin Pam have been the ones pushing to find him. Chip was the youngest of six children, and he was much, much younger than his siblings. His cousin Pam explained to me how this shaped Chip's upbringing. His mother had adopted a child before I was born. She had adopted a child, and her husband had passed away. Years later, she met Chip's father. Chip's father had four children. They married, and then she got pregnant with Chip. So Chip, even though he has five five siblings, only four of them have his dad, but his mother died when he was really young. Uh, I believe he was about six years old when his mom died. His mom was my mother's sister. My mom lived just three doors down from him, so she helped raise Chip. So he was more like a, a brother to me than a cousin. Because of the age difference between all of us, uh, you know, I'm 12 years older than Chip, uh, his sisters, you know, he's got a brother that's about 12 years older than him and, and his sisters are about 18 years older than him. So he was pretty much raised an only child by his dad and by my mom. You know, he was raised, I guess, uh, a little differently than what we were. He didn't have the same sibling group to hang out with. So, of course, you know, he looked to kids at school to be his friends. Chip became, I would describe him as almost a loner type. He had a certain group of friends that he hung out with, and those friends were the world to him. But he he wasn't very outgoing. When Chip was a teenager, he was diagnosed with diabetes, and his condition worsened leading up to his disappearance. 
at the time of his disappearance, he had just been diagnosed with diabetic seizures. He had had a, a bad accident in town where he had had a seizure while driving. They had just pulled his driver's license. So he lost his job because he had no way to get back and forth to work. He had become really destitute. He was down. I don't think that he felt like he had a lot going for him at that time. You know, he'd lost everything. He lived in the family home. His father uh, is in a nursing home. So, you know, Chip had full control of the house. Chip was the type of person who would literally give you the shirt off of his back. Whenever he would, you know, have a friend who needed a place to stay, he would say, come on, you can stay here. Chip's kind attitude may have led him to put himself in a vulnerable position. He had allowed a woman named Tanya to come stay with him. Tanya becomes a key person in this case after Chip went missing. Leading up to his disappearance, his family started to see signs that something wasn't quite right with Chip. Around the time of his disappearance, my mom had stated that he didn't look right. In appearance, he didn't look right. She said that he had lost some weight, but he was looking almost grayish in color. He would walk to my mom's, usually daily, make him a ham sandwich, sit down and eat with her. And then after talking to him, I I guess maybe a, a month into, you know, his downward spiral, my mom was talking to him and she said, don't you have any food at the house? And he said, no. But at the time, he had a friend who was living at the house with him, but apparently she wasn't working either. So my mom went and bought groceries and took him down there, brought him, you know, gave him the groceries and... He was working on getting his Social Security disability and his food stamps. He had just been approved for his Social Security disability, and he had just gotten his food stamp card the weekend before he disappeared. So his everything was starting to turn around for him. He was starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and then it happened. On March 8th, Chip's family realized that he was missing when they saw a Facebook post written by Tanya, the woman who had been living in Chip's home. It was on March the 8th, probably about 8.30, I received a phone call from my sister. She told me that Chip's sister, Donna, wanted to talk to me. She said Chip was missing. So I immediately called Donna, and who lives out of town, asked her what's going on. And she said, did you see the Facebook post? No, I haven't seen it. She said, you need to go on to Chip's page right now and look. So I went to Chip's Facebook page, and there was a post on there from this girl named Tanya. And it started out, this is a cry for help to any of Chip's friends or family. And she goes on to say, as you know, I'm Chip's best friend and roommate. Chip is MIA. Then she continues on to say, Well, the last time I saw Chip was Sunday night, approximately, you know, around 10 o'clock. I'd left to go babysit for a friend in Pensacola. Whenever I came home this afternoon, I found the side door of the house was open. The house was in disarray. Chip was nowhere to be found. That his cell phone had been found in the master bathroom but the battery had been removed and the cell phone had been reset back to factory settings. She ended it by saying, and I don't think that he took enough insulin pens with him. And I'm a correctional officer. I work in a state prison. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, I'm reading it. It sounds like an alibi. This doesn't sound like a normal, help me, oh my God, my best friend's missing. Somebody please get out here and help me. It was... And I don't think he took enough insulin pens with him. You know, my first thought was, well, would she know how many insulin pens he needed if she didn't know where he was at? Chip's family and longtime friends were immediately suspicious of this Facebook post. Pam started reaching out to his friends to see what she could find out. 
I started reading the comments that were on that Facebook post, and the comments were pretty bad. Some of his, some of Chip's friends were commenting on there. You know, I know that you had something to do with this. So I, I posted on there, you know, I'm Chip's cousin, Pam, call me, and I left my phone number. Well, she didn't call me, but one of Chip's friends who lives in Alabama did call me. He told me, he said, I know she had something to do with this. I know she did. And so he sent me some text messages that had been between him and Chip. And Chip had talked about how he was in fear for his life, that there was a lot of bad things going on around his house. He felt like he needed protection. And then he talks about a gun that he had acquired a 380. And the friend asked him, where did you get that from? And he said, it's a loaner. It's registered to my dead uncle. Well, what Chip didn't know was even though the gun was at my mom's house, that gun was registered in my name. While Chip was at my mother's house, he picked up the 380 and walked out the door with it. We don't know exactly what day it happened, but we know that he had it. So we know that Chip was worried enough that he took a gun from his aunt's house and was confiding in long-term close friends about his fears. After hearing this, Chip's family decided to alert law enforcement. This is also when Tanya's statements and actions start becoming more and more bizarre. With the gun being missing, with Chip being missing, you know, we immediately contacted Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Department and asked them to go out and do a welfare check. The first deputy to come out was really good. Me and Chip's sister, Donna, had done a three-way phone call on Chip's phone and talked to Tanya. We told her that the, the Sheriff's Department was coming out there. And her first thing she said was, um, well, I have already contacted them. I, I called all the sheriff's departments, the county jails, and the hospitals and said, well, now we're contacting them, so they'll be coming out there. And then she says, well, let's not do that right now. Let's let's exhaust the other options we have before we contact them. And we said, it's too late. They're on their way. The sheriff's department comes out, starts his investigation. He questions them. We're still on the phone with her when he's questioning. And then she says that she's with one of Chip's friends, and she said that he had told her that the guy that I had already spoken to in Alabama had called him and told him that Chip was there in Alabama with him. I said, no, he's not. And she said, oh, yes, he is. And I said, no, he's not. I said, I just got off the phone with him. I said, he's crying. He's upset because his best friend's missing. Chip's not there. She yells out to the other person that's standing there with her, and she says, Chip's not at his house. And I'm thinking, this is just weird, (laughs) this whole situation. Well, then she tells us how she had searched for Chip. She said, I searched all night last night, but according to her Facebook post, she had came home that afternoon. She said, we even searched the attic, not once, but twice. And... You know, and I made a snide comment. Do you normally hang out in the attic, or does Chip normally hang out in the attic? Chip is six foot two, 230 pounds. I don't see Chip hanging out in a crawl space in an attic. And she said, no. She says, but I, I just didn't know where else I could, we could find him. And then she asked, well, Chip does own this house, right? And I said, no, Chip doesn't. And she said, well, I thought that he said that it was willed to him. I said, Chip's mother had that house built. I said, technically speaking, that house belongs to Chip's dad. And in the event of his death, that house will go to all the siblings. And she said, oh, huh. I asked her about drug use only because Chip's friend had mentioned that Chip had been using drugs. Meth. And she says, oh, no, no, absolutely not. There is no drug use in this house. So the the deputy that was there, he asks her for 
her ID. And she says, oh, well, I don't have my ID with me because I had left it in Pensacola whenever I was babysitting for my friend Sunday night. So the deputy said, uh, you don't have anything, nothing that has your name, anything on it. And then she says, well, yeah, I've got this. So she gives him her military ID, which has her, apparently had her married name on it, not her name that she goes by. And he questions that. Whenever he left her house, he went to my mom's, talked to her about the gun, and then he called me. And he said, there's something not right here. He said, something's just not right. He said, she wasn't acting right. The friend wasn't acting right. He said, from what I could see of the house, he never went into the door. He never went into the house. But what he could see from the front door, he said the house was in a complete shambles. This poor deputy, come to find out, he had only been on the road for about three months. So he was fairly new to his job. He, I don't think that he knew all the protocols and what he should have done. So after working this case, and I mean strictly working this case every night for probably three or four days, he finally turned it over to the major crimes unit. It's important to clarify here that these so-called friends of Chips have given inconsistent statements about when they realized he was missing and when they searched for him. These are not reliable people, but I think it's important to listen to what they have said because there may be a little piece of truth in these conflicting statements. Where the truth ends and the lies begin is really anyone's guess in this case. After Chip's case was turned over to the Major Crimes Unit, the first search for Chip was initiated. The Major Crimes Unit contacted Class Kids. Class Kids came out. They did a search of the house. Meantime, they had arrested Tanya. They had arrested her actually the day after Chip went missing, and it was because she had given the deputy two different names. And he went back and he looked her up and come to find out she had been wanted in Escambia County for um, failure to appear on drug charges. So they had arrested her, and at the time of the arrest, she had a black eye. Her mugshot clearly shows a black eye. So they go out, they, they search the house, they bring out their cadaver dogs, they search the attic space, they found nothing, absolutely nothing. I wondered if his home had simply been searched for him, or if it had been forensically examined as a potential crime scene. To the best of my knowledge, they never did any kind of forensic anything to that house. If they had, they probably would have found all the drugs that were in Tanya's room. But they never did. At one point, we were basically told that, you know, basically chips a meth head, meth heads disappear. That's just what happens to meth heads. We were being given the cold shoulder by the sheriff's department. Our skin has a huge effect on our confidence. If you have acne or noticing signs of aging, it can be frustrating to waste time and money on products that aren't formulated for you. That's why I recommend Curology. Curology makes personalized prescription skincare products. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs. They use a combination of three clinically researched ingredients, making it more effective than non-prescription cleansers and moisturizers alone. I tried it out myself and it's easy, and I can't wait to get my first box. Just fill out a quiz about your skin, share photos, and a provider will prescribe a personalized formula based on your skin's unique needs. For a limited time, you can get your first Curology skincare box for just $5 when you go to Curology.com vanished. Go to Curology.com vanished for this free offer. That's Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash vanished. Trial is 30 days. Applies to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. Let me guess, your medicine cabinet is crammed with stuff that doesn't work. You still aren't sleeping. You still hurt, and you're stressed out. That's how it was for me. So I cleared out my cabinet, and I'm excited to reset my health with CBD from CB Distillery. 
CB Distillery's targeted formulations are made from the highest quality clean ingredients. No fluff, no fillers, just pure, effective CBD solutions designed to help support your health. In two non-clinical surveys, 81% of customers experienced more calm. 80% said CBD helped with pain after physical activity. And an impressive 90% said they slept better with CBD. If you struggle with a health concern and haven't found relief, make the change to CB Distillery. And with over 2 million customers and a solid 100% money-back guarantee, CB Distillery is the source to trust. I have a 20% discount to get you started. Visit cbdistillery.com and use code VANISHED for 20% off. That's cbdistillery.com code VANISHED. cbdistillery.com Imagine how terrible it must have been for Chip's family when they realized he was missing. To make matters worse, they had to go through the whole legal process to have Tanya evicted, and that was just the beginning. Tanya had been released from Escambia County Jail. She came right back to the house. She had to be evicted from the house. So during that process of eviction, we had went to the residence. And you could see drug paraphernalia in the house. So we went in through the side door. We found crack pipes. We found syringes. We found spoons that still had meth in them. You name it, we found it. We contacted the sheriff's department. They came out. They tested the stuff. They, yes, you've got meth. Amphetamines. Yes, you have heroin. Yes, you have crack cocaine. And then they left. Well, that same day, Tanya came back to the house. And we kind of followed her and uh, we called the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department came back out to the house and there was a, a used syringe laying in the driveway where she had been there. Well, while we're there with the sheriff's department, another deputy had went to the location that she had, her and her friend had driven to. They questioned her. And while we're standing there with the sheriff's department, she sends my cousin Donna Sue a text message asking her when she's going to have the water turned back on because the water had been shut off due to non-payment. So they asked, she asked her, when are you going to have the water turned back on? Chip wouldn't want me to live this way, she said. So obviously we didn't turn the water back on. We had found out that she had um she had stolen several of Chip's dad's checks she had found in the house and she had made them out to herself and she had taken them to the bank and cashed them. So they rearrested her and they let her out on a fifty thousand dollar bond and then she disappeared. Tanya got arrested one more time in Florida before fleeing the state. I found out, just by doing a Google search on her name, I found out that she had been arrested again in Monroe County, Florida, which is down in the Florida Keys. There she had been arrested, and she had been released on a $125,000 bond for drug charges. And then she jumped bail there, and she left again. As far as my search has taken me, she's somewhere around the area of Sacramento, California. I don't know where in Sacramento. I just know that she's in Sacramento. This is where Tanya pretty much drops out of the story because she's been on the run. Pam and her family have been looking into Chip's disappearance, and they started to find out more bits and pieces of information over time. Chip's case can get a little confusing because there's so much of the he said, she said going on. Tanya says that the last time she saw him was on Sunday the 6th. Then she supposedly left to go babysitting and came back to find the house in disarray. When law enforcement came out on the 8th, Tanya was there with another guy. Pam has since spoken to this man who told her about another man who was in the house with them that first night, but left before the police could get there. The friend that was at Chip's house that night told me that there was another person at that house and that that person had hurt his knee, and he had an ice bag on it, and I asked him how he hurt his knee, and he said that he had hit it with a hammer. 
that was odd that, you know, the day that Chip went missing, you've got a friend, you know, somebody over at the house who's got a ice bag on his knee. So I asked him who the guy was, and he tells me his name, but he doesn't know where he lives. He doesn't know his last name. So I went to her Facebook page and pulled up everybody with that name and sent him all the pictures and said, which one is it? And he said, oh, it's number two, definitely number two. And come to find out, it, he lived in the, about the same area that he thought that he said he lived in. And so, you know, we were able to identify the man that was at the house. Well, apparently this man had left the house whenever he found out the deputies were coming. A few weeks after Chip went missing, a surveillance video of him surfaced. This is the video from a local Circle K convenience store. It's from March 8th between the hours of 2 p.m. and 4 p.m., which is the same day that Tanya made that infamous Facebook post. This video is very important because it establishes a day and time that we know that Chip was still alive, but it also adds to the mystery of his disappearance. Several weeks passed by whenever we found out that there had been a video taken of Chip in a local convenience store. and. On the video, you can clearly see Chip walk into the store, and he's carrying two bags, like two backpacks with him. And he walks into the store, and he goes into the bathroom. Well, you can see somebody get up and go to the bathroom door and knock on it. Chip apparently had been in there for several minutes. Whenever he came out, he didn't have either backpack. But whenever... You did still frames on the video. You could clearly see that Chip had a black eye. This is the same day that she said Chip went missing. The video was on March the 8th, the day that she said that they had been searching and couldn't find him. And there's a video of him in this store. According to the deputies, we've never seen the rest of the video. We only saw what was put on the news. But according to the deputies on the video, you could see Chip walking north down the highway after leaving that store. I think that the surveillance footage is one of the most perplexing things about Chip's disappearance. The bags that he left behind were recovered, and the contents of the bags again add to the mystery. They had found the bags. I guess somebody that works at the store had called and said, Hey, look, you know, we found these bags. We threw them in the dumpster, but we did find them. So the sheriff's department went out there, and sure enough, they found the bags in the dumpster. One of them was empty. The other one contained one insulin pen that had just maybe about one dose of insulin left in it. It had some crackers, you know, some stuff that some, you know, a diabetic person may carry with them. And then the odd thing that it had was Chip's father's birth certificate. One of the bags contained his EBT card, his food stamp card, that still had money on it. But that was it. That was all that was in the bags. In an attempt to figure out why Chip was at this particular convenience store, I asked Pam how far away this Circle K was from Chip's home. It's probably five miles. And that's another thing is that there's a Circle K at the end of the road a mile from his house. There's a, another store called the Tom Thumb, just a convenience store, just across the street from that one. So there were two stores a mile from his house that he could have been in, but he wasn't. He'd walked probably about five or six miles to get to that store. I've looked at the video over and over again, looking for some clue as to what he was doing there and why he may have left those bags. Pam told me what she thinks about it. And in the video, he looks scared. Like I said, in the video, you can you can see um, he does have a black eye. And, you know, if you go onto his the Facebook page that I'm doing for him, which is Finding Chip Campbell, Milton, Florida, there's pictures of him out of that video with, and you can clearly see the black eye. But he, he looked nervous. You know, he looked afraid. You know, some people have speculated that he was making a drug drop. I question that. You know, I, I work in a state prison, and why would I make a drug drop in a 
in a convenience store that's got video cameras, whenever there's a bike trail right behind that store that he could have dropped on, there's a, a park right on the other side of the bike trail he could have dropped something on. He didn't, you know, so why would he drop it in there? I think that he, maybe his sugar was out of whack. He was scared. Maybe he was running from something. I don't know. But I, I know I've done it before. You know, I've gone into Walmart, set my purse down, you know, on the toilet paper holder or something, use the bathroom, get up and leave my stuff there. I can't say for sure why he left it there. It could have been just purely an accident. It could have been something intentional. Some people think he was just leaving a clue behind. You know, we don't know. But it's odd. It's odd that the day that he went missing, she claims that he had been missing since the night before, but then she also said that she didn't get there until that day. And the other friend, Chip's friend that had been there, had claimed that he had searched with her the night before. And then he claimed that he had only searched with her that day. We also know that he stayed the night with her, the night that Chip disappeared. There are parts of the surveillance videos from the Circle K that Chip's family has never seen. One part that they haven't seen is the video of Chip leaving the store and walking through the parking lot. But law enforcement has told his family that it appears that he started walking north. But Pam pointed out to me that there were several other businesses and even a school across the street that someone could have been waiting for him at. The man that Tanya was with at Chip's house the night that he went missing has admitted to being in the area of that Circle K during the time frame that the video was recorded. He said that he had been at Chip's house, left to get his daughter from school, and take her to dance lessons. Is that all a coincidence, or is that how Chip got to the Circle K that's about a five-mile walk from his house? There's so many questions surrounding this surveillance video. How did Chip get there? Did he walk the five miles? Did he get a ride? Why did he have two bags with him? What was in the bags? Was it just the things that were eventually found, or was there something else in there? Also, why was he carrying his dad's birth certificate? Why did he leave the bags behind? Was this a drug drop, as some people have suggested, or was he disoriented due to low blood sugar, or possibly drugs, and accidentally left them? It's after this that he just vanishes, so where did he go? Part of me thinks that this video could be the key to the entire case, that there's something here that we aren't picking up on, but at the same time, it could have just been a simple accident. As you know, I often work with Halo's investigations to get some more awareness to the cases that they are working on. Chip's case is one of their cases. When Halo's got involved, they made a shocking discovery in the attic of Chip's home. It wasn't until Nana Moore with Halo Investigations we had contacted her. She took the case. I gave her all of the information I had, which was an abundance of information. Chip's sister, Donna Kay, had moved into the house. She had a suspicious character show up at the door, and he was asking strange questions, you know, what's been going on around here, and he said that he was there to see if she wanted her, her grass cut. But he kept casing out the house. He's looking at, like, at the roof line. He's looking at the doors and the windows. And so that brought up the conversation about the attic and how weird it was that, you know, they said that they had searched that attic not once but twice. So Nina decided that she would go search that attic. Well, Nina is a spunky 80-year-old woman. So she brought her son with her, and her son climbed up in the attic, and he searched where he found a meth lab. Well, we know for a fact that that attic had been searched with class kids in the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Department just days after Chip went missing. So the only time that meth lab could have been put in that attic was during the time that Tanya had possession of the home while we were trying to have her evicted. One of Chip's supposed friends who was at the house the night that he went missing was very interested in the discovery of this meth lab. I waited several days before I put anything about the meth lab on Facebook. 
And whenever I did, I posted it as, thanks to a tipster, Halo Investigations went and searched the attic and found this meth lab. Well, that night, while I was on the phone with with, uh, investigator Nana, Chip Spring called her, and she told me to put my phone on mute. So I put my phone on mute, and she three-wayed the phone call, but he had no clue I was on the other line. And the first of his mouth was, I want to know who gave you the tip. Who gave you the tip? I want to know who gave you the tip. And she said, I can't tell you that. But in that conversation, he had to have asked her a hundred times, who gave the tip? It wasn't, oh my God, you know, somebody put a meth lab in my best friend's attic and he's missing. It was, who gave you the tip? While they were on the phone with this man, the conversation just continued to become more and more bizarre. Nana calmed him down and talked to him, but whenever she did, she asked him, she started asking questions about that night, the night that he had went missing. And she asked him what the conversation was like in the house. And he said, oh, well, they were bashing Chip. And she says, well, what do you mean by bashing? Well, she said that Chip was crazy and that he needed to disappear. And he had tied a noose around her beanie baby's neck. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was just, it was hard for me to listen to it and not unmute my phone. (laughs) But the conversation went on for an hour. He said that Chip's dog, Chip had a, a... a pit bull, gentle, very gentle dog, and that was Chip's baby. But he said that that dog had bit the other guy that was at the house, the one with the the ice bag on his knee. His name is James. And the dog had bit James. And we thought that was odd because that dog had never bit anybody, but it had bit James. Law enforcement has been able to make a match to fingerprints found on the meth lab. We finally got a fingerprint back off of the meth lab, and it belonged to someone over in Pensacola, a man in Pensacola, who was eventually arrested for drug charges over there. And last I heard, he's still sitting in the Scambia County Jail on a $350,000 bond for drug and gun charges. Chip's family noticed an indentation in a wall inside of his house that they think is suspicious. Walking through the house, the kitchen, there is an indentation in the wall, and it's the perfect shape of the back of somebody's head. And it's around the height. If you're standing, you know, if you're six foot two and standing there, your head's going to fit perfectly in that spot. And I know this because a friend of mine who's also a private investigator came out and he walked through the house and he stood there and he's six foot one. He stood on his tiptoes just a little bit and sure enough, his head fit perfectly in this indentation in the in the wall. While cleaning out the home, they also found some receipts that could be important. Meantime, Tanya had left all of her property at the house. So as we were cataloging everything, putting it in boxes and in bags and storing it in the shed, we found more syringes, used syringes, more drug paraphernalia. But I also found a receipt for 45 caliber bullets. Tanya had told me that she didn't have a gun and that Chip didn't have a gun, but I knew that Chip had had my gun. But my gun was a 380. So I'm looking at this receipt for the 45 caliber bullet, and that receipt was dated about two weeks before it disappeared. Then I found another receipt for men's gloves, and that receipt was for about a week before Chip disappeared. You know, suspicious, yes. Can we prove anything? No. Even though Chip's phone was reset to factory settings, that doesn't mean that all was lost. They were able to find out that the last call made on Chip's phone was to someone else entirely. 
the last person that Chip that that a call was made to that phone anyway from Chip's phone was another man. And to the best of my knowledge, he's never been questioned. They know of him. They know who he is. But he's never been questioned. Remember earlier we discussed the gun that Chip had taken from his aunt's house to protect himself? Well, this gun has recently been located. But finding the gun didn't really provide any more answers in this case. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was found just, I want to say, maybe around December. I did not find out about it until maybe about a month and a half ago. I found out that the gun um, had been found. I contacted the detective that's handling Chip's case. What I had done was periodically I would just go on to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement Facebook page and do a search for that gun. It always came up as, you know, stolen. Well, then I went on to the page and looked. There was no record of it. So that's whenever I phoned the detective and said, you know, what's going on? Why is it the gun listed as stolen? And that's whenever he told me that the gun had been found, that it had been found in Cantonment, which would be in Escambia County, Florida, and we live in Santa Rosa County. Time-wise, it's about 35, 40 minutes to drive, considering Chip had no car and no, no mode of transportation. You have to question how the gun got there. And the circumstances around the gun was just, it was weird because the man who had the gun apparently called the Escambia County Sheriff's Department and said, I have a, I think I have a stolen gun. And the sheriff came out. They asked him where he got it from. He said he got it from the people across the street. So they brought those people in for lie detector tests and, uh, they passed. So till this day, nobody knows how that man acquired the gun. Shipping can make or break a sale. As your business grows, ShipStation can help optimize how you ship your orders so you can stay competitive while you scale up. With ShipStation, you can easily automate shipping tasks and manage orders in one simple dashboard. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications. ShipStation is the most affordable way to ship everything you sell online. They offer industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce business with ShipStation. I tried out ShipStation, and I loved how easy it was to use. I was able to set it up quickly, and I was thrilled to see how much I saved on my first shipment. Optimize and keep your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code VANISH today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code VANISHED. When you love someone, you protect them in the best ways you can. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. It's an advanced system that protects every inch of your home and backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for fast emergency response for less than a dollar a day. I found their products so easy to install, and their app gives me peace of mind that I can see what's going on at my home wherever I'm at. Simply Safe is trusted by the experts. It was named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. Simply Safe offers everything you need for whole home protection. HD cameras for indoors and outdoors, advanced motion sensors and entry sensors to protect doors, windows, and rooms, and a collection of hazard sensors to detect fire, flooding, and more. Plus, with a 60-day risk-free trial, if you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. Simply Safe even covers return shipping. Order now to get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring. Don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com/mia. That's simplysafe.com slash MIA. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
Earlier in the episode, we mentioned that Chip had talked about being in fear for his life leading up to his disappearance. I asked Pam if she had ever been able to get any further with that information. Had Chip ever been more specific about his fears? I don't think that he ever elaborated who it was. I don't think he ever told him who exactly it was. I believe that it was somebody that obviously was involved in the drug world and uh, another one of Chip's friends had said that he was with Chip in December when Chip was receiving text messages threatening him, threatening text messages. And he said Chip was so nervous and upset he was crying. And, and it's crazy because it starts out with just Chip. You know, you've just got Chip. But then all of a sudden, you've got this web of people. This is giant web that continues to grow. At this point, and, and this is, you know, this is me. This is just me and my opinion. But at this point, I believe, honestly, wholeheartedly, that she saw an opportunity. There was a, a, a house. She's living there free and clear. You know, this was a good place to set up a nice little drug operation. Because whenever she, you know, the, I mean, one of the first questions she asks is if, you know, if Chip owns that house, it it throws you off because you're not concerned about your best friend and roommate being missing. You're worried about who owns the house. Then that was concerning to me that, you know, you're you're more worried about who owns this house rather than where where is Chip. When Chip had confided in his long-term friends about his fears for his safety, he also spoke to them about being unhappy with the lifestyle he was currently stuck in. And I know just from conversations that Chip had had with, with his real friends and from text messages from his real friends that Chip didn't like this lifestyle that he was in. And Chip had mentioned to them that, you know, this this mess is killing me. I can't keep doing this. It's killing me, but I don't know how to stop. He he was seeing that what it was doing to him was was killing him. He was seeing that. He, you know, we don't know. You know, we can speculate all day long. You know, did, did he OD? Did it scare them? Did they just dispose of him? We don't know. Did he just leave and wander off somewhere and die? We don't know. Chip's family was initially frustrated with the response from law enforcement, but one positive in this case is that they are now taking it more seriously. It wasn't probably until about six months ago that finally it appears that the sheriff's department is now looking more into it. They're now investigating more because maybe it's just the time link that's been that says he's ever been seen you know it's been over a year since he's been seen anywhere but a lot of it too is a lot of the tips that i've sent them um of course you know i've been running chip's facebook page and in the facebook page i've gotten a lot of messages from a lot of people that know tanya that know some of the other characters that are involved in this. And so, you know, a lot of people have kept me updated on where she is, what she's doing, what some of these other people have been doing. Uh, some other people that, you know, may have possibly been at the house during the weekend before he disappeared. Like I said, we know that he had got his food stamp card that Saturday before he disappeared. And he had went to a local Dollar General. Tanya had admitted to driving him there. She didn't go into the store, but she said that she drove him there. That he went into the Dollar General and he bought 80-something dollars worth of groceries. All of those groceries could be accounted for when he went missing. Everything that he had bought could be accounted for. So it was just odd that all of a sudden he's got money to buy food and his Social Security check was supposed to be coming in, and, uh, you know, he was finally going to be able to live halfway normal again. Personally, I don't believe that Chip walked away. I just don't believe Chip walked away. Pam believes, and I agree with her, that Tanya holds the key to solving this case. I don't think she was solely responsible for his disappearance because Chip was a big guy and she would have needed help. 
but I do believe that she knows more. And we all believe that, you know, she does hold the key. And uh, she knows a lot more than what she's saying. And I think a lot of it is self-protection. You know, she she just doesn't want to get herself in trouble. She was a serious meth user. And if you look at the pictures on that Facebook page, you can see the progression, you know, and, and the degression. It's like once she's in jail for a few days and her mugshot, are, you know, now she's starting to fill out. She's starting to get a little bit of color on her. And then she goes right back down when she's released. And, you know, all of a sudden she's got that grayish tone in her skin and she's super skinny. I think she, you know, she may have weighed a hundred pounds whenever they arrested her the day after he went missing. There's no way this hundred pound woman overpowered this six foot two man. We have an idea of how many people could have been there, but we don't know for sure. As Pam said earlier, she has tracked Tanya to the Sacramento area. I know that there are a lot of you listening in that area because I've covered several stories from that regional area. I would encourage all of you to go to the Facebook page that Pam runs and look at Tanya's pictures. Tanya is currently a fugitive. I asked Pam if she thinks there's any way that Chip could still be alive. I I don't. I honestly don't believe he's alive. For a long time, my mom insisted that he was, and now she says there's no way. You know, she she knows now that there's no way he's alive because he he wouldn't have been gone this long. He might leave for a night, but somebody knows where he's at, whether it's his brother or his sisters or his friends. Somebody always knows where he's at. Now, nobody knows. I've done a lot of thinking about this case over the past couple weeks since I interviewed Pam. There are a lot of individual mysteries going on under this umbrella of the greater mystery of where is Chip. Like the gun, for instance. How did that get into the hands of someone else with no apparent relationship to Chip? Did one of these so-called friends of his find it and sell it? Or is there some connection here to his disappearance? The surveillance video is a huge mystery to me, as I mentioned earlier. Why was Chip even at the Circle K? One thing that I noticed about this case is that there were a lot of people with injuries around the time that Chip went missing. Chip had a black eye in the surveillance video. Tanya had a black eye in her mugshot. The one guy who was there that night had an injury to his knee and said he hit it with a hammer. And also the indentation in the wall. Then there was a mention of Chip's dog who had no history of aggression becoming aggressive. Now, I personally have three non-aggressive dogs, and I can tell you the one thing that would get them on the offensive would be someone physically threatening someone in my family. It sounds to me like sometime before Chip disappeared, there may have been a big fight inside of his home, and that may be the reason for his disappearance. This mud that Tanya spoke of being tracked all over the house, could that be a clue to Chip's location? I think that there are probably multiple people who know what happened to Chip and they aren't the most sophisticated criminals around. The hope is that someone will come forward with a missing piece of information that will help authorities locate Chip. I'm going to share the news video that includes the surveillance video of Chip on social media. I'm interested to see what you guys think of the video, and also why he would have left those bags behind. If you go on Facebook to Finding Chip Campbell, Milton, Florida, Pam has done a great job compiling pictures and screenshots for you to look through. At the time of Chip's disappearance, he was six foot two inches tall and about 200 pounds. He had brown graying hair and brown eyes. It's also important to note that Chip is an insulin-dependent diabetic. He was last seen wearing a long sleeve camo shirt, blue jeans, and a pair of white tennis shoes with a stripe. They are also interested in speaking to the person who originally found the backpacks in the bathroom. So if you were in a Circle K on Stewart Street and turned a couple of bags in in March of 2016, please come forward. If you have any information about Chip's disappearance, you can contact the Santa Rosa County Major Crimes Unit at 850-983-1100 or the HALOS tip line at 803-599-4256. You can also send a message through the Finding Chip Campbell Facebook community. If you have information on the whereabouts of Tanya Rios, please call 
2593. That brings us to the end of episode 77. I'd like to thank Pam for taking the time to speak with me and all of you for listening. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Facebook where there's a page and a discussion group. My Twitter handle is at the vanished pod, and I'm also on Instagram. If you have a missing loved one that you would like to have featured on the show, please visit thevanishedpodcast.com and fill out the case submission form. Have a great week, everyone. Chip had, you know, I mean, Chip had his demons. You know, he, he had his demons that obviously, you know, sunk him down into this hell that he was living in, you know, that brought him down to the level that he was at. But in all, he was still a good person. Even as far as the gun went, I don't believe that he had intentions on keeping the gun, only because he described it to his friend as a loner. He was going to use it for protection, and he was going to sneak it back into my mom. So I don't, you know, I don't believe that he purposely stole the gun. I think that he just, he was desperate. He felt like he needed something to protect him. She can't keep herself off of social media. You know, every time you turn around, she's, you know, she's posting something new on her Facebook page, and somebody sends it to me. So I usually am pretty up to date with what's going on with her. You know, but she, like I said, she she can't stay off of it. She's, you know, she likes her social media. And just from the, the web of people that have come out of this, and I mean, it's a web, insane whenever you look at it and how many people could have been involved were involved you know just the fact that the night that he went missing that they're sitting around the house talking about how he needed to disappear she put on Facebook this is her best friend and roommate but she's in the house you know well, he, he needed to disappear he's crazy he needed to disappear Well, she claimed that she didn't know where any of his family lived, but my mom lived three doors down from there. My mom had brought her food. My cousin lives right next door. I mean, literally right next door. We've got a cousin that lives right next door to him. But she claimed she didn't know where any of his family was at. At one point, she put a picture on her Facebook page, and she's got several Facebook pages now, because every time she gets a new one, I find out about it, and and she'll get a new one and I'll find out about it. But she had put a picture on one of her Facebook pages and it was two girls. One of them was Wednesday Adams from the Adams family, a cartoonish kind of drawing, but it was the Adams family. And Wednesday Adams has got a black eye in the picture and she's holding a, a placard, like a police placard, and it says homicide across it. You know, and you're looking at this going, what in the world is wrong? I mean, she's like rubbing it in. She's got the black eye just as she had in her first mug shot, you know, the day after he went missing. You know, now all of a sudden she's putting a picture of somebody up there with a black eye holding a sign, homicide. is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Ding! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. 
It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice. Only on Freebie. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts